This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. The topic of injustice today is often a hot-button issue within our society. We are a culture that demands our rights, and we will not have those rights trampled by injustice in any form. In our world today, we'll stop at nothing to blow the whistle on injustice and rightly stand up for what we think is right. But what happens when that injustice happens within the community of faith? How should we respond? How should we handle such inequity? Well, we find a great example of just what to do in today's reading from Nehemiah chapter 5. Verses 9 through 12 of Nehemiah 5 read, Then I said, What you're doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God and not invite the reproach of our foreign enemies? Even I, as well as my brothers and my servants, have been lending them money and grain. Please, let us stop charging this interest. Return their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses to them immediately, along with the percentage of the money, grain, new wine, and fresh oil that you have been assessing them. They responded, We will return these things and require nothing more from them. We will do as you say. So I summoned the priest and made everyone take an oath to do this. Jump to verse 14. Furthermore, from the day King Artaxerxes appointed me to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year until this 32nd year, 12 years, I and my associates never ate from the food allotted to the governor. The governors who preceded me had heavily burdened the people, taking from them food and wine as well as a pound of silver. Their subordinates also oppressed the people, but because of the fear of God, I didn't do this. Instead, I devoted myself to the construction of this wall, and all my subordinates were gathered there for the work. We didn't buy any land. Now, Nehemiah 5 records for us the desperate financial situation in which most of the Jews found themselves. They felt mistreated and many of the landowners had taken advantage of them. You see, there was a terrible famine in the land at that time. This tragic incident happened just before the wall was completed in chapter 6, so it likely would have occurred just before the harvest season. Now, the harvest season was when all the creditors would have collected on their debts. The timing of all of it created so many problems because most people would borrow against the harvest, meaning that since the predominantly agrarian society was built on that harvest and the profits made from it, they would borrow against that harvest and then settle up when the time came. But the famine threatened all of that, including the harvest and the profits that came from it. Most of the townspeople, the blue-collar people, worked on the wall for most of the year. They would have had to have bought grain to eat throughout that year 
in the promise of paying back their creditors at the time of harvest. But there was only one problem. They weren't working in the fields. They were working on the wall. And this change of priority set off a chain reaction. First, the men worked on the wall, which likely put the women working in the fields to tend the crops. And the landowners were probably paying them at a lesser rate, meaning that they weren't being paid fairly for their work. Because they knew that they couldn't pay, the high society likely started charging exorbitant interest on the crops and the profits. Therefore, seizing the land and even the children as slaves and wives for their husbands. Now, this abhorrent practice was called debtor slavery, and it was widespread in that period. And so because of the high interest rates that were charged on trying to get anything during this famine just prior to the harvest, the people were starving. They were lending their children as slave labor. They were giving their wives over in marriage. They were forfeiting their homes just so they could live. They cried out to Nehemiah to fix the problem. And the New American Commentary helps us know just how he did that. It reads, Tolibson's sociological reading of Nehemiah reveals a model for this conflict resolution. Number one, separate the people from the problem. Instead of seeing the problem as a class conflict between the haves and the have-nots, Nehemiah treated all of this as a community problem. Number two, focus on interests, not positions. Nehemiah showed the rich that their actions were actually hurting the whole community. It's in verse 9. Number three, generate a variety of possibilities before deciding what to do. Nehemiah proposed a solution that benefited the entire community, verses 10 through 12. Fourthly, insist that the results be based on some objective standard, tradition, or authority. Nehemiah based his solution on biblical principles in verse 13. Then they accused the nobles and officials. It always takes courage to oppose the influential members of a community. But leaders whose allegiance is to God cannot fail to do so when necessary. Nehemiah needed the support of these important people. It is a tribute to his leadership that he confronted them despite the serious consequences that could have resulted. It's also important to realize that Nehemiah modeled this before he mandated it. Verses 14 to 19 demonstrate the restraint with which Nehemiah was living. He didn't take any of the funds that were given to him as a result of serving as part of the leadership of the government. The governors before him lived in luxury on the dime of the king, even charging ridiculous taxes on the people. But Nehemiah didn't do that. He could call these landowners out who were using the people to make a profit because his life backed it up that he wasn't doing that. And as a result of how he presented it to them and the life that he modeled before them, he resolved the problem and continued the work. Now, as leaders, there is a lot to consider here. Working backwards, you cannot expect others to do what you don't do. If you live dishonestly while demanding integrity in others, that's hypocritical. In the same way, 
if as leaders we expect our people in the church to read, apply, journal, memorize, pray, and follow Jesus, and we're not doing that ourselves, that's hypocritical. You cannot expect in others what you don't expect of yourself. Paul commanded a young Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Our example is infinitely more important than our exhortation. Before we speak, we better have a track record of doing what we are encouraging others to do. Secondly, Nehemiah rooted his response when confronting his enemies with the word of the law. He wasn't sharing his own opinions. He was drawing them back to the word. And if we are to confront injustice by calling a spade a spade, we better make sure it is rooted in the word of God and allow his word to be the authority on which we stand, not our preferences or our tradition. God's word must be the sole source of our authority. We cannot dictate or demand people change the way they live. People change when they want to change. The Holy Spirit's conviction must generate that desire to change in their life. And as Spurgeon has said, the Holy Spirit rides in the chariot of Scripture, not in the noisy wagon of modern thought. No amount of argument will convince believers to lay down the greedy hand of selfishness and open it to their brother. Only the Holy Spirit can change a heart, and the Holy Spirit's job is to guide in truth. That absolute truth is not found in the lips of my convincing argument, but the pages of God's word. Thirdly, when there is a legitimate need within the ranks of God's people, we need to remember the real problem is what, not who. We have to divide the problem from the people. As Brenneman said, this was not a class conflict, but a community problem. Therefore, we must recognize that pilfering usury from our brothers hurts the entire body. We have to work to find solutions that benefit all of us. We are a body, and when one part profits off the detriment of another, problems begin to arise. We are together, and division hurts us all. A house divided against itself cannot stand. And we must remember that we are in this together, and we need each other. We should take steps to meet those needs. The most outstanding example of this is in Acts 2. The text reads that they had all things in common. You see, it was not what's yours is mine, as in communism. It was really about what's mine is yours. Because no one saw what they had as their own. They weren't possessive or defensive of their resources. There were no turf wars. When we feel threatened, possessive, and defensive of something or someone in the church of God, we need to see this as the problem. We are in this together, and whatever makes us all stronger is what we must pursue. Finally, we must have the courage to confront the problem even when that problem is in the influencers of the community, like these landowners. We must be willing to have tough conversations to benefit the community of faith. 
This type of honesty and transparency is vital to a thriving community. So Jesus, help us, Lord, to stand up for the truth. Help us to pursue avenues that champion overturning injustice while encouraging unity among the faith. Help us to live right, stand up for what's right, and fight for what's right, no matter what. In your name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For the show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Have a great weekend. Join us on Monday as together we help you learn to read your Bible.